a worship encounter that is transformative, that ever happens to you, your life is going to reach a new level and measure of fulfillment that you never knew was even possible. The danger in that, though, is I tell you pointedly that when that happens, it makes the things of this world grow strangely dim as the song goes in the light of His glory and grace. The second thing that I would wish for you is that you would then be used by God. Because if you ever are positioned where the divine flow of God's anointing passes through the course of your life and you become bread to the, to the hungry and you become broken to those that need help and need healing and God uses you to minister to them, there's no sense of achievement that any job will give you, any creation, any invention, anything you will ever write, anything you will ever put together will ever bring to you in the same sense that being used of God will bring. And so I pray that for you. In fact, I'm going to just raise my hands right now and say this, Lord, I pray for the people of this church that you will use them. Use them in a way that is profound and deep and powerful in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Well, starting next Sunday, um, we're going to relaunch the 1015 service. And, and um, I'm bringing the pastoral staff to be involved in that service over there, meaning that we'll have the exact same identical service there as we do here. In fact, you've noticed out there in the back, I hope you have, that we have put in new parking. I didn't even realize there was a problem. I found out that that ladies were having difficulty. I don't know why no one mentioned this to me. I, I guess they think I'm supposed to be smart enough to figure this out, but trust me, I'm not. <laughs> Amen. But ladies were having problems walking in their heels in the gravel. Well, I don't wear heels. So I don't know this. And if I ever wear heels, gravel's going to be the least of my problems that you need to be praying about. Amen. That's all I'll say on that subject. Moving on. Amen. Just let me simply say that you notice we've blacktop that that portion back there and the next couple of months you'll see dramatic improvements in this auditorium including new carpet this one is worn out balcony ground floor new furniture everything but i want you to help me relaunch the 11 uh the, the 10 15 service in this way i want a number of you you know i'm not talking about everybody here but a number of you would prayerfully consider making that your service for the next year i'm serious starting next sunday if you would do that, I would be grateful. Be a missionary and sacrifice just a little while. It means getting up an hour early. Amen. And um, listen, I just flew in yesterday from Romania. I didn't know until 5 o'clock yesterday morning, Romanian time, that I would have a ticket back home. I have been literally waiting, holding my breath. And up until I went to bed on Friday night in Bucharest, we've been out from Bucharest a ways I was training over 200 pastors. We had an incredible conference. Incredible. Romania is a former communist nation. You met the apostle to Romania that is my friend, and he calls me a spiritual father now that his spiritual father is deceased. It's John Delinsky. He had to flee Romania because of the persecution. You'd go to church, and they would have informers from the secret service there, and then you'd be awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning. They had written your name down. They'd come drag you out of your house and put you in prison and, 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 and literally persecute you, your family, and torture you. John Delinsky had been through all of that. He put together the conference. We made it back 
into Bucharest Friday night. I called, steal no seat for me on the airplane. My plane left at 10 after 7. I didn't know until 5 o'clock that morning that I had a, a, a flight available. Look, being a missionary can be challenging. I've got you blacktop out there to walk on. Amen. We are putting in new lights and sound and other things. And even under the balcony, we, have you noticed the new speakers in, in the balcony? I know they have. So some of you pray about that. I'm serious. You'd be greatly blessed to do that. Let me get into the Word of God. I've been teaching on kingdom keys to an abundant life that will in turn lead to much love. Say it, much love, many blessings, and great favor for as long as you live. I'm teaching you how, how to enjoy life the rest of your life. And one of the important kingdom keys that must be addressed for this subject to be looked at as it should and thoroughly is the, the key of faith. So we've talked about Proverbs, verse 20 through 22 in chapter 4. I won't read it, but it talks about the preeminence of the Word of God. Now we should pay attention to it and let it, let it never depart from our eyes. I hope you read the Bible every day of your life. After I get done here today, you're going to see the reasons why you should. For this is health to their flesh. And the word health means medicine, a prescription, literally. Turn to somebody and say, you can heal your life with the Word of God. Would you do that? Yes, you can. You can heal your life. Amen. Then we went to Mark 9 where this father's distraught over his son that is possessed of a demonic spirit that's trying to kill him and the disciples couldn't cast it out. Jesus said, if you'll believe, all things are possible. And the man cries out, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome mine unbeliefs. Because when do you find out that you have doubt? It's not when everything's going well. It's when your back is against the wall and you don't know what's going to happen next. That's whenever you find out whether you have doubt or faith. This man discovered that he had doubt in his heart as well as faith. How do you get faith? There's no other way to get it than what I'm going to tell you. Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. That's what the book of Romans says. How does faith come? Only one way, by hearing the word of God. You speak it to yourself, you read it to yourself, or a preacher reads it to you, you need God's word. Amen. Why is it that the Bible is able to build faith? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's God-breathed. Why does it build faith? Because his word comes out of his mouth. This literally refers to the creation of the world. When God spoke and Jewish scholars said the word came out of his mouth in flames of fire. That's not the only word that came out of his mouth. Every word in your Bible came out of the mouth of God and contains the same creative power that the word that spoke this world into existence claimed. Think about that. So, if you were the devil, what would you try to do? Knowing that faith is the key that activates so much in the kingdom, how do you destroy faith? If faith comes by hearing, you would do one of two things. Either stop people from believing in the Bible or stop them from attending church. Enough said right there. Every time you are tempted to stay home, understand the enemy is trying to destroy your faith. Every time you get too busy to read the Word, understand why you just got so busy. Because the enemy doesn't want you to have faith. Amen. Look, God is trying to build our faith, and in this, this I'm actually teaching us how. 
to add to our faith, okay? Now, you, you know how to add to things. You know, it, it fixes something on the, in the inside, you know, a deficit that is there. How many of you have ever had a twinge of conscience about something you did? Can I see your hand? Conscience ever act up on you? Oh, yeah. The IRS actually received this letter that I'm about to read to you. It was an actual letter written to the IRS in which a guy did not sign his name. Amen. And this is what he said. Dear sir, five years ago I cheated on my income tax. My conscience has bothered me so much that I can't sleep at night. Enclosed is $150. If that doesn't help, I will send you a check for more later. You get the point? I'm going to fix it by sending $150. If I, can't stay, if I still can't sleep, I'll send another $150. Then I'll send another. Don't intend to pay the whole thing. Just enough to, so I can sleep at night here. Just <laughs> Get my conscience to shut up. Hey, come on, quiet down inside here. Uh-uh. Faith is not like that. You need to add to your faith until you're full of faith. It's not a matter of just getting enough to get by. So, Father, today I ask you to speak a word to us that will transform us through the power of your word. Let the anointing come today and bring revelation and insight in a way that will be incredible in terms of changing our lives, not only for today, but for as long as we live. We ask it in Jesus' name for your glory. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. So, by the way, let me just finish on what I was saying. So over the next couple of months, you're going to see improvements in this sanctuary, including carpet and the furniture and so forth, as we continue to demonstrate excellence to God, because if there's anybody that deserves it, it's God, and if there's anybody that ought to demonstrate it, it's His people. Can somebody in the building shout amen? Back to the Word. My subject today is why you can believe the Bible is the Word of God, part two. Now, there's a problem. Many of the major seminaries, I don't need to tell you this, you already are aware of it, many of the major seminaries and many universities now are openly opposed to the teachings of the Bible, call the Bible inaccurate. And, you know, while you might expect that from universities, from seminaries, it's a different matter. You're saying like, huh? How can somebody in a seminary teach that the Bible is inaccurate? Because seminaries are where ministers are trained. That's where they're given training to prepare for ministry. The major universities in America and much of the rest of the world were originally founded for the purpose of training ministers. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, Cambridge, all of these got their start as seminaries for ministers. At Harvard, for example, they still have a divinity school. Only things have changed so dramatically that some of the professors at the Harvard Divinity School are openly an avowed atheist. Now, pray tell me, how can you be an atheist and teach at a divinity school? How can you be a theologian and be an atheist? How can you train ministers and be an atheist? The point is, this world has gotten so mixed up that it doesn't even realize that if you begin to question part of the Bible, you will inevitably begin to question it all. So, among the things we have been studying, last week we talked about the historical accuracy of the Bible. Earlier on in this series, I talked about, is God real? Creation or evolution, which is the truth. Today, I'm back to look at the Word of God and its validity. Can you believe this Bible is indeed inspired or God-breathed as the Scripture has just stated that it is? Or do we need 
to read this Bible kind of tongue-in-cheek and say it's a great philosophy, but there are a lot of errors in it. Well, let's look at the geographical accuracy of the Bible next. That coupled with the historical accuracy of the Bible actually is quite insightful. There is not the slightest mistake, my contention is, anywhere in the Bible. Concerning geography, Luke alone in the book of Acts mentions 32 countries, 54 cities, and 9 Mediterranean islands. Luke is one of those that scholars have attacked and said there were mistakes in his writings, only later for it to be discovered they were the ones mistaken, not Luke. Archaeological excavations have proven that the Bible's account of both history and geography are correct. Only the problem is you don't hear about the corrections that were made. All you hear about is the big news about, you know, they found this problem with the Bible. In fact, there's a list of over 22 what they call major discrepancies in the Bible. That's right, 22. Major problems in the credibility of the Bible. As we look at some of these, you're going to find out that their definition of major may not be the same as yours. For example, one reason they said the Bible is inaccurate is because the Bible mentions camels in the book of Genesis. Hmm. That's a major problem? Yeah. Because they said camels had not yet been introduced into Egypt in the book of Genesis. According to the Genesis account, Genesis 12 and 6, Pharaoh gave Abraham camels. Scholars said, aha, that proves the Bible is wrong. Camels didn't even exist in Egypt at the time Abraham was alive. In fact, liberal writers such as T.K. Cheney, who is he? President of a seminary. Said the assertion that the ancient Egyptians knew of the camel is unfounded. Therefore, the Bible can be questioned is what he was saying. Later, however, archaeological excavations have found proof that is incontrovertible that the camel not only existed, they wrote about it, drew pictures of it, had evidence of its remains in Egypt by 3000 B.C., which is a thousand years before Abraham was ever born, approximately. What does that mean? It simply means that, once again, the experts were wrong. Another reason they said you can't believe the Bible, I'm talking about their list of 22 major discrepancies in the Bible, is the Bible mentions that Abraham and Isaac both had association and dealings with the Philistines. And they said the Philistines were a nomadic people that immigrated from somewhere else and moved there. And the problem is, they said, by the time Abraham and Isaac were there, the Philistines had not arrived yet. Oh, really? They said, really? That means that the Bible's account is wrong. Here's, here's what le- it leads to next. If they can prove all of this, then you and I are crazy for believing the Bible. But when you look at the historical evidence and now the geological evidence, archaeological ev- evidence now states that it is a mistake to regard the mention of the Philistines in the patriarchal narratives as, a, as mistaken and an incorrect insertion into the Genesis account. Why did they use those words? Because they said, H.T. Frank, another university president, said that the references to Philistines in the book of Genesis during the time of Abraham and Isaac was an historical inaccuracy. And they even believed that these references were inserted later in an attempt to make the Bible look like it knew more than it did. Guess what happened? 
they found archaeological evidence that the Philistines, while the main body did not move there until later in the time of David and, and, and during that era, there were Philistines that they discovered their cities and evidence of their existence before the time of Abraham even existed. That many of them had moved there years earlier. And once again, the Bible is proven to be correct. Another assertion that they said is a major problem with the Bible is that man's language was not developed well enough and put into writing yet well enough for the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that contain all these laws, you know. They said there's no way that that could really be true and biblical and of that era because writing had not yet been developed to the point where they could write that. Therefore, all of these things, they said, had to have been written much later and that man was not yet insightful enough to be able to formulate a code of laws for his, his, his society to live by as is expressed in the Bible. Well, I guess if you take that position, it also is because you don't believe in God. If your presupposition is that the Bible was written by men, you can take the position that maybe man wasn't educated enough by that time to put it together. But if you take the position that God, who knows everything, is the one who wrote this word, then it becomes a little bit easier to believe it. But guess what? Again, archaeological evidence have proven that not only did they have the writing skills by the time of Moses, listen at this, Moses lived about roughly 1,500 years before Christ. 1,700 years before Christ, they found that the laws, the, the, the codified laws of Hammurabi had been written, and they found them in the archaeological ruins. And then they found the Lipit Ishtar Code, which was written 1,806 years, 60 years before Christ. Then they found the laws of Eshnuna, written 1,950 years before Christ, and even earlier still, they found the Ur-Namu Code, and all of these have proven that not only did man have the skills, they actually wrote very complex laws for their society to live by. And all one after another, I could go through them. That, this is the evidence that people take to trash the Bible. And one after another, these claims have been ridiculed. Another thing that, 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 that people have used to attack the Bible with is its supposed scientific inaccuracies. Oh, really? You mean like, like what? Well, you know, the Bible's just scientifically inaccurate. Well, you know, man's been inaccurate scientifically on numerous occasions. For example, it wasn't until Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 14... Yeah, you learned the same childhood ditty I did. Amen. Columbus sailed the ocean blue 1492. It wasn't until then that man realized the world was not flat. Up until then, the man thought the world was flat. Guess what? God never did. His word never did. In the book of Isaiah 40 and 22, this is what it says about God. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Huh. You know, when Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born, 2,200 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, God spoke to Isaiah and said, I sit on the circle of the earth. And the Hebrew word literally means it's a spear. It's round. It's an orb. God knew all of this. How did he know it? Very simple. He's the one who created it. That's why. Oh, come on. Somebody shout amen. Now, we have a, a number of medical people in the church, both doctors and, and nurses, that will tell you what I'm about to say. Next, 
And that is medical science only in recent years has been making the strides that it has made and gained. Medicine just 200 years ago was a mess. I ask you this recently. Do you know how the first president of this nation died? George Washington, founding father of America, he died because that day the way you treated all sickness was to bleed out the bad blood. They bled so much bad blood out of him, he didn't have any blood left and he died. That is a fact. They bled the poor guy to death. That was just 200 years ago, a little over. Listen to this. This is what God said about blood in the Bible in Leviticus 17 and 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Do you know what they have now discovered? It is the blood that carries nourishment to the cells of the body. It is the blood that carries oxygenation to the cells of the body. It is the blood, hello, that carries the, uh, all, all of the, the white corpuscles and, and other things that fight disease in your body to infected areas to combat disease within your body. And guess what takes the waste out of the human cells and disposes of them, gets rid of them, brings them for disposal so that you're not poisoned by your own body wasting away. It's the blood. The life is literally in the blood. Listen to this. This is even more. Up until recently, this is very recently actually, it's not all that long ago, they thought that different races actually had different kinds of blood. I'm sure. I'm not making that up. I'm telling you. So I'm a Cajun. That means I've got, you know, I've got some Norwegian in there. I've got some French. I've got some American Indian and runaway slave, all kind of stuff in me. So I've got to find somebody that's got... You know, I get, he's got he's to be 50% Cajun, that, that's for sure. Can't, nothing less. I mean, like the Cajun said, half bleed just won't do. I've got to be full bleed Cajun, amen. You know I mean, and then he's got to have a certain 20% Norwegian. I'm, I need a blood transfusion. Anybody here is 50% Cajun, 20% Norwegian, 15% American Indian, and some other things thrown? Anybody here qualify? I'm in trouble. I'm going to die. That's just all there is to it. I need a blood transfusion. Isn't that ridiculous? This is what Paul said 1900 years ago. Listen to this, Acts 17 and 26. And has made of all from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of all of the earth. We came from one blood. Can somebody in the building say amen? Listen, you may not even know this, but this is, this is important. We're all familiar now with things like the Humboldt current of, of of California, the Gulf Stream uh, that goes all the way, circles around the Gulf, goes up the uh, Atlantic seaboard, crosses over to Europe. We're all familiar with the currents of the oceans. Do you know that is a relatively new scientific discovery? In fact, the father of oceanography, his name is Ma Matthew Maury. He was born in 1806, died in 1873. He's the one that first began to talk about rivers moving within the ocean. Amen. He said his research was inspired by Psalms chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, where it asked, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels, crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild. Notice, and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim in the paths of the sea. He said there are paths in the sea. Guess what they have discovered? There are paths in the seas. These currents have been here for as long, perhaps, as the world has existed, the way that we know it. And this is what keeps the oceans alive, the movement of the currents. 
This is what God said in the book of Psalms 900 years before Jesus was born. And yet, it was not until 100, 200 years ago that somebody, 150 years ago, that somebody actually became smart enough to figure it out. And then go on. Look at the hydrological cycle. You learned this in school. How does it rain? Where does rain come from? We learn that the waters of the seas and the oceans are evaporated. The waters from our ponds and lakes and rivers. The dew on the grass, it's evaporated. It goes up in the form of vapor. And what happens? It condenses and forms moisture that is in the form of clouds. And when they reach 100% saturation or 100% humidity, then it converts back into precipitation that falls upon the earth either in the form of rain, snow, sleet, or hail. Okay, this is what keeps the earth alive and replenished. Do you know when they discovered this? The earliest records they have of men ever mentioning or suspecting there was a hydrological cycle was about 300 to 400 years before Jesus was born. Yet Ecclesiastes said 400 years before that, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round, never returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams came from, they return again. And so the rivers dump into the ocean, it evaporates, goes back where it starts all over again. The hydrological cycle. Listen at Job, the oldest book of the Bible, written approximately 1,900 years before Christ. Job said he draws up the drops of water which distill as rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture and abundant showers fall on mankind. How did Job know this? Because they hadn't figured it out yet. Okay, watch. Amos chapter 9 and 6. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundations on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. What? Waters of the sea poured over the land, back into the rivers, back into the sea, over the land, back into the rivers, the hydrological cycle. Consider this about medical science. Up until recently, they did not know that disease was caused by something called bacteria. They didn't know that. The experimentations of Walter Reed, even right here in America, malaria. You remember the experiments you read about, yellow fever and other things like that. And where the, the, they were trying to figure out what the, these caused these diseases. I'm talking about only 200 years ago in this very nation. They did not have a, an understanding that bacteria and infection were caused by, by germ, uh, that, that germs call, and bacteria caused infection. But listen, I can show you in the Bible 3,400 years ago where God put into his record, his word, strict living arrangements for the nation of Israel to prevent the spread of disease. Watch this. This is only one of many, many, many in the Mosaical law. God said in Numbers 19, 14 through 16, this is the law which applies when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters the tent and anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days. That means you had to be separated and live in isolation for seven days every open container is unclean anyone out in the open field who touches someone who has been killed or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean and live in isolation seven days what was god trying to do he was trying to prevent the contamination of disease that would cause plague to start among the children of israel the children of Israel were even given specific instructions on how to establish their sanitary facilities so that things like cholera would not spread among the people. Where I'm at in East Africa, routinely, numbers of people are dying of cholera. 
200 years ago, men did not know this. How did God know all of this 3,400 years earlier? Techniques of sterilization and sanitation and quarantines were virtually unappreciated up until recent times. Yet God describes all of this in His Bible. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about all of this? Here's our problem. I'm going to identify it for you. I want to tell you I'm opposed to it too because I've watched its effect through the years. Many of us, instead of living on the basis of the Word of God, live from the inspiration we get by going to church and hearing the Word preached or the feel-good that we get when we come to the house of God in corporate worship. And if we can make it Sunday to Sunday, we're okay. But that's not what God wants. God wants your foundation to be on His Word, not on me. Oh, come on, somebody in the building ought to say amen. He wants you to know Him yourself. He doesn't want you to know my anointing. He wants you to know Him. He doesn't want you to make it from Sunday to Sunday because I have an anointing and a relationship with God. He wants you to have a relationship with God. So why am I teaching all of this? Because every single day of your life, somebody's trying to tell you the Bible is not really the inspired Word of God. But I'm showing you historically, geographically, scientifically, amen, that the Bible is the truth. Not only that, philosophically, the Bible is true. The word philosophy scares some people, and it shouldn't, because everybody has a philosophy. Maybe not a good one, but you have one nonetheless. Because your philosophy is literally your system of beliefs. Everybody has one. Amen. Ted Bundy had a philosophy. It wasn't a good one, but he had one. John Gacy had a philosophy. It wasn't a good one, but he had one. You, you get where I'm coming from here. Amen. Philosophy is defined as a system of beliefs that is considered to be the ruling force in somebody's life. It's author- authoritarian in that regard. The rational investigation about existence, knowledge, and ethics is also philosophy. And finally, philosophy is any personal belief about how to live or how to deal with the situation. Well, do you have any beliefs about how you need to live? Sure you do. That's philosophy. And I want to tell you, every religion teaches a philosophy. But there is no philosophy that comes anywhere nearly as close to bringing mankind to a a state of health and wholeness as does the philosophy of the Word of God. What do I I mean by that? Listen to 1 Peter 1 and 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. How can a person have joy like those Romanian Christians I was talking about, knowing that in their services there were informers that were going to turn them in? How can you have joy being persecuted? How can you have joy going through the hell some of you have gone through? How can you have joy in spite of having had the doctor use the big C word in his diagnosis? I'll tell you how. It's not about circumstances. Uh Uh-uh. There's peace. In the midst of the storm. That's why you have joy. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. But in me you shall have peace. You see, peace is not the absence of conflict. It has been incorrectly defined as being the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Where are you going to go to have an absence of conflict in this world? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to live where there won't be some chaos in your life? I know you're ready for Mary Jo Blige like I am. No more drama in my life. I know, you, I know that's your fun. I know you're ready. You're tired of all that drama. But where are you going to go in this world and not have drama? 
Amen. You going to have drama? Oh, yeah, you're going to have drama. You're going to have drama on this job and the next one, too. I'm getting rid of this woman. Too much drama. Wait till you see the next one, honey. That's all I can say. Uh-huh. Drama, 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 drama. You will have a Ph.D. in drama before you get out of this life. Yes, you are. You're going to have drama. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's peace in the middle of the storm. You can go through the storm and still have a smile on your face. Oh, somebody in the building needs to shout yes. The God that I serve can help you through the middle of the valley. Oh, yes, he can. This is why David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In fact, when you've got enemies all around you, this is what David said, the Lord prepares me a table in the presence of mine enemies. You hear what I'm talking about? You can have problems on every side, hell all around you, and God still sets you a banqueting table. Woo! Amen. The Bible has the greatest philosophy for life that there is. Amen. Hinduism doesn't offer a philosophy like this. Neither does Islam. None of the others do. You say, how do you know? Because I studied them, that's why. I had to for some of the degrees that I, I have earned through the years. I had to study comparative religions. I know all about the life cycle, the, the repetitive life cycle, the reincarnation cycle, the will of samsara of, of the Buddhists and the Hindus. Yeah, where you live long enough that eventually you expiate and atone for the sins you've committed. Uh-uh, I don't have to live a hundred lifetimes to atone for my sins. All I've got to do is kneel at the foot of a cross. Because Jesus died and gave his life for the forgiveness of my sins. Can somebody in the building say yes? yes. Amen. Amen. Perhaps the most stunning proof, and I'm getting ready to close in just a very few minutes. The most stunning proof of the holy inspiration of Scripture is its prophetic accuracy. This is what separates the men from the boys right here. The prophetic accuracy of the Word of God. I'm going to prove it to you right now. Just so we're on a level playing field. People say, ah, the Bible's not correct. Okay, then let's stack up your prophetic predictions against those in the Bible. We can start by you telling me what the headlines are going to be tomorrow. I'm waiting. Well, you can't even figure out who's going to win this afternoon's game. How are you going to tell me what the headlines are? If you knew what tomorrow was going to hold, you would change your investment strategy. My brother called me. I got a hot tip. I've had enough hot tips. Don't anybody bring me any more. All they do is burn you. That's what hot tips do. He said, you got to put some money into this thing. He said, I know the president. They're going to get oil out of shale, and they're going to they're make all kind of money. I put 15,000 hard-earned dollars in that. 15,000. It's now worth, at the last time I looked, it was worth 23, 24 cents. I'm not talking about per share. I'm talking about $15,000 went down to 24 cents. Yeah, that's what I said too. 
In fact, all along the way, I'd call him and I would say, Terrell, you sure you know what you're talking about? I'm selling this. No, 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 don't sell. Hang on, it's getting ready to come up. If it comes up now, it will take my lifetime, Jonathan's lifetime, Andrew's lifetime, and my great-grandchildren's lifetime to be resurrected. No more hot tips. All they do is burn you. But the Bible's a different kind of book. One-fourth of the Bible was actually prophetic at the time it was written. One-fourth of it was actually prophecy at the time it was being written. It contains about 2,500 prophecies of which 2,000 have already been fulfilled. Only about 500 remain that need to be fulfilled. Since most of those prophecies that were fulfilled were not interrelated or dependent upon one another, this is what mathematicians say are the odds of of just those 2,000 being fulfilled. One chance out of 10 to the 2,000th power. I don't have enough screen, or enough room on that screen, that one, and that one, so I didn't even try to write them out. But that's one followed by 2,000 zeros. One chance out of one followed by 2,000 zeros that just these that have already come to pass would come to pass. Now, you still feel like, you know, the average guy can do as well as the Bible? You think you can do that good? I've already told you. I'll give you some money, put you on a plane. I'll even get you a ticket. I'll get you a hotel. I'll fly you to Vegas. You help me out here a little bit, okay? You say, Pastor, oh, I'm shocked at you. I'm joking. Come on. Give it a break. Get a life. Pray for me. I need the prayers. You need the practice anyway. We'll, do, we'll both receive some benefit. Sorry, I don't mean to upset you. I'm joking. But if you can make prophecy come to pass like that, he wouldn't even be gambling for you to go. There are 365 Bible prophecies, prophecies in the Bible that foretold the, the life, the death, and the burial of resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. One literally for every day of the year, every day man lived, God was giving him a promise, a hope that it's going to be all right. All 365 have come to pass. Consider the prophecies of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. God foretold that Israel would be destroyed because of their rebellion. It says it in the Bible. I won't take the time to read it all, but watch this. Amen. That was virtually fulfilled in AD 70. Even Jesus prophesied this in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, that Israel would be destroyed. Not one stone left upon another. Titus, the Roman general, came in AD 70 and besieged the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the city so thoroughly, thoroughly, they literally pulled the blocks of the walls apart until there wasn't one stone left on another. They sowed salt in the ground so that the ground could not grow anything again. You know why they did that? Because in the Roman Empire, the most troublesome country they ruled over was guess which one? Yeah, Israel. Because Israel alone out of the other countries that were ruled over knew they were created by God. And they knew that God was supposed to be their king. And so they chafed under Roman bondage and they were always rebelling. And finally the Caesar sent Titus, his general, and said, go wipe it out. And they literally did, and they passed laws. One of the laws was, from this day forward, no Jew can live in what was Israel. They expelled the Jews. Secondly, they passed another law that you could never speak Hebrew if we heard you. It was, a, it was an uh, automatic death sentence. They were trying to wipe out the holy language of prayer that Israel used to communicate with God. Even till this day, when a young boy has his bar mitzvah, he has to read from the Bible in Hebrew because they say, that God, when he spoke the world into existence, used Hebrew. The letters were literally Hebrew. I wasn't back there, so I can't attest to that. I, I'm not that old. Amen. 
But all I can tell you is this. They were trying their best to destroy Israel. And they did. And for 1,900 years, there was no Israel among the nations of the world. And then Isaiah had written this. 9, 13 through 15. I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Never again. I don't care what is going on in the Middle East right now. I don't care if Russia doesn't like it. I don't care if China doesn't like it. I don't care if Baghdad doesn't like it. I'm not saying everything Israel does is right. That verse right there said Israel's not going anywhere. Amen. Amen. And Isaiah said it would happen in one day. Isaiah 66, verses 7 and 8. Before Israel goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Do you know that after World War II, when the Allied forces went into the concentration camps and discovered that six million Jews had lost their lives, that the the peoples of the world, in a moment, an act of compassion, opened the land of the Middle East for Israel, to the Jewish people, to, to move back. And on May 14, 1948, Israel declared itself a nation again. And the same day, the United States of America voted for it and issued a statement of support thereby protecting israel and in one day a nation that had not existed for 1900 years came back into existence you don't realize how big a miracle that is let me give you an example of how big a miracle that is where the jebusites you met any hivites lately met any hittites seen any philistines uh-uh. Because once a nation is swallowed up and gone, it's gone for good. Yet remarkably, somehow, out of the ancient pages of antiquity, God pulled up his word that said this nation will come back into existence. And in modern times, it has come back into existence, heralding the beginning of what is called the last days. There are many prophecies I could give you. Choosing just six of them, mathematicians tried to calculate the odds of this happening because it is so incredible. The odds against all six being fulfilled in the same year, not the same day like they were, but in the same year, is one in 15.6 billion. That is a pretty big number. That's the odds of these verses coming to pass. Just six of them. Yet they've already come to pass. Do you know that the Bible is so accurate in its prophecies that it prophesied and foretold the coming of Alexander the Great in the book of Daniel? And listen to this. Dan, uh, according to Ale- uh, Alexander's modus operandi was when he would invade an area, he would decimate it, wipe it out, conquer it, destroy it. He was on his way to destroy Jerusalem. And the high priest heard about it. He had already conquered all these other cities. In fact, if you remember Alexander reading about him, he conquered the entire then known world by the time he was 30. They knew they didn't stand a chance. Instead, the high priest picked up the scroll of the book of Daniel, went to meet Alexander and met him on the way with his army and showed him in the book of Daniel the prophecies concerning him. And it so moved Alexander that he stopped his armies and said, we're going to spare Jerusalem. That's the word of God. You want to hear something else incredible? 
Jerusalem was destroyed, but it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And in Isaiah 44 and 28, God said that it would be rebuilt again by a king called Cyrus. That was 150 years before the man ever lived. And 150 years later, Cyrus is born. And guess what he does? Exactly what the Bible said issues a command using his resources as king to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, I'm getting ready to give you one that will really make the hair on the nap of your neck stand up. According to the Bible, for the Messiah to be the real Messiah, he had to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Scripture says all these things. Live a sinless life, ride into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, and he had to do it precisely on April 6, 32 A.D., exactly 173, 880 days after the command to rebuild Jerusalem by the Babylonian king Artaxerxes. You say, where do you get that? Read Daniel 9, verses 25 through 26, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. How much is seven and 62? 69, remember that. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. You say, what's weeks mean? A week is only seven days. No, wait. You're missing it. We calculate time in terms of the Roman method. Our calendar is the Roman is based upon the principles of the of the old Roman calendar. We number our our years together. Every ten years, there's a decade. Every ten decades, a century. Every ten centuries, a millennium. Got it? See how that works? The Jews never have accepted that. Since time immemorial, they have used a calendar based upon seven years completes a cycle. And every seven, seven years, which is 49 years, is followed by a 50th year that is called the year of Jubilee. Okay? They still use the system today, this calendar. And, the, and, and Orthodox Jews still go by this calendar, calendar till this very day. Not only that, we have 365 days in a year comprised of 12 months. Their calendar is 360 days in a year comprised of 12 months. Now, let's remember that figure 69 weeks? 69 weeks times 7, because there's 7 weeks in a week of years. 69 times 7 equals 483 Jewish years. Times 360 days is 173,880 days. Remember that from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D. is only one year. Now watch this. The exact day that the Persian king Artaxerxes gave the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was March 14, 445 B.C. Put that screen back up there again that showed that from the giving of the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem is going to be, it's going to be exactly 173,880 days later Christ is supposed to ride into the city of Jerusalem. Guess what? On exactly Palm Sunday, April 6, 32 A.D., 173,880 days, uh, 173,880 days after Artaxerxes gave the command to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, guess who comes riding into the city of Jerusalem? And the prophecy of Daniel said he would then be cut off, not for himself, but for his people. Crucified. He wasn't crucified because of his sin. He was crucified because of mine and yours. Somebody in the building shout hallelujah. You can't be any more precise than that. And I'm closing. Do you know that when King James gave the order 
for them to translate the Bible for the first time into English, for the average people to have access to it, was 1604 A.D., King James of, of England. And do you know that he put together a team of scholars that were authorized for this purpose, and they debated and almost left the book of Daniel out of the Bible. You know why? Because they said it's too accurate. All of these prophecies are so accurate that it must have been written after these things had happened rather than before. They have since proven because they have actually found scraps of the book of Daniel. And ladies and gentlemen, that exists from way back in the earliest of times, therefore proving that God's word is true. You say, how could it be so precise? Well, I'm talking about God. He already knows everything there is to know. He's omniscient. That's one of his attributes. You say, why am I talking about all of this? I'll tell you why. Are you ready? Hold on to your seat. Because if God said all of this and it was true, if he says that he's going to heal you, guess what? You're going to be healed. If he said he still answers prayer, guess what? He still answers prayer. Amen. That brings me to the spiritual accuracy of the Bible. And with this, I close. Is the Bible accurate? Why talk about historical and geographic and scientific and philosophical and even prophetic accuracy when those things probably will not really impact your life much today i'll tell you why it's because the one thing that will impact your life is proven reliable by these other things and that's the that's the spiritual accuracy of the word you see because everybody says oh you know all of this stuff and is it necessary is there heaven is there hell all of these kind of things listen all i can tell you is if the bible got all the rest of it right you don't want to gamble it got the rest of it wrong Amen. Can I hear somebody say praise the Lord? And I also want to tell you that if there's somebody here today that wonders, can I really be free? I want to say emphatically, yes, you can. Because in 1 John 1 and 7, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And who is it talking about having fellowship with when it says one with another? We always think it's with each other. No, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with God. And listen to this. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from shouted all sin. I didn't hear you. Come on. How much sin? All sin. What can take away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. You can depend upon God and His Word. Yes, you can. You can trust the Bible. And I close with this, Psalms 18 and 30. As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. I feel so much of God in this room right now. And I know what God's doing. Here I am. I'm not even preaching inspiration. I'm just dealing with data. And God's just coming in to visit us. Because I'm standing in defense of his word. And he's honoring that. But did you read that? His word is flawless. And he shields all who take refuge in him. Do you know what that means? Shields, he covers. 
the enemy walking by is looking for you and can't find you because you're covered, 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 covered. The enemy sends his demonic spirits to attack, but they go back and report to the devil, I don't know what happened, I can't find them. Why? Because you're covered, 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 shielded. So what can you take from this today? Life application points. The Bible is God's word, and it is true. Don't ever let you believe it's a collection. Anyone make you believe it's a collection of fables. And number two, you can trust in the word of Almighty God. And number three, his word is powerful. Like you can't imagine. So powerful that it can break fever in a sick child. So powerful that it can heal cancer in a diseased body. So powerful that it can set a drug addict free, an alcoholic free. Yes, so powerful that it will change your life. So powerful that it can release and open heaven over you. His word is powerful. And number four, you can believe his word when it says that you were divinely created in his image and likeness. In this world of uncertainty and hopelessness, God has a purpose for you. And number five, you can also believe he created you with a destiny. You have a reason for being here. I don't care how hopeless you have felt or how aimless and miserable your life has seemed to be. God did not make you by accident. You have a purpose. And a part of that destiny is to serve and worship God. Him for the rest of your life and throughout eternity. James, do me a favor. I mentioned it, referred to it. James always does such an outstanding job in the selection of music to accompany whatever I preach. He does an incredible job. But there's a song we sing that usually is associated with children's ministry. And you probably have heard your kids come home singing it. And it's this one. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Would you stand with me and come and join me right now? And I want to pray for you. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak. But He is strong. Come in close. I want to pray for you. As a father would pray for his children and his family, I want to pray for you. Come, come, come in close. People are still coming. There are people who need breakthroughs in their lives. Somebody may need a miracle. Somebody may need an anointing. Anybody in this room today that's struggling, that can be broken right now. Tracy sing it.
How does it go? Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells so. People need to know that, that God loves them. He loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish. Whosoever. You know who that whosoever includes? You. It was God's way of saying before you were ever born that Yomi, 